0: And welcome to Generations, Kevin Swanson, your host with you, Josh Ushwiso, also in studio with me now, and uh, he is Director of Publishing for Generations.org, and Josh, welcome, it's uh, good to have you in these conversations, uh, the most exciting topics... That I can come up with. That's right. Speaking
1: of the works of God,
0: there's, yes, there's no better yes, topic. Yes, yes, yes. And, and this is the second in our short series. That's it's right. going to be a, a discussion on revivals. And this uh, comes upon a story that I just picked off. Samuel Say is an editorialist for ChristianPost.com. And he's got a comeback on the Asbury's revivals from just last year. Remember, the Asbury revivals went yeah. on for, I think, 10 or 12, 14 days. Mm hmm. At Asbury College in the state of Kentucky, and he comes back to it, and he's just doing a little follow-up on the revival. And again, I think one of the reasons for this is we want to be sure that we're telling the truth, and we're not over-exaggerating what's happening in -hmm. our individual churches or ministries or what have you. Um, Obviously, we never know exactly what God is doing or has done in the full extent of it until... Well, until glory, until the That's end. That's right.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: but here he talks about the uh, year after the Asbury revival. It uh, would have been February 8th to the 24th of just last year. 70,000 people visited the university and experienced an outpouring and awakening a revival. For two weeks, many of the tens of thousands of people who visited Asbury responded to altar calls and witnessed prophecy speaking in tongues, casting out demons and faith healing in the chapels. One of the biggest news stories of the time probably one of the reasons why I was most concerned about it <laughs> mm-hmm. because typically the work of Jesus doesn't make it on the front page of the newspapers as right. we said last time. So
1: you want to know what's going on there.
0: Yeah, he doesn't make it on the front page mm-hmm. of the Wall Street Journal, I think is yes, the point exactly. you made.
1: Uh
0: so uh, Tucker Carlson, Ben Shapiro, Charlie Kirk, they're all excited about it. What has happened at Asbury? Uh, became something of a hope for Christianity, conservatism in America. One revivalist preacher compared the Asbury revival to the Ark of the Covenant. Do not pay attention to armchair quarterbacks, writing, critiquing Asbury revival, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, another preacher said this revival is revealing the hearts that have lost intimacy with the Lord and so on and so forth. So what this guy did is he called churches near Asbury University in uh, Wilmore, Kentucky, asking if they've experienced significant additions to their church membership. Or major changes in the lives of their church members because of the revival. So he's he's you know wondering if there's yeah, any good uh, improvement, and you know the churches got people more faithful, more committed, coming into membership. Uh, every representative of the churches I spoke to said no. All right, so I guess a sad report. A year later, uh, nearly all the people I spoke to said individuals from their churches and visited Asbury chapel during the revival, but they said they couldn't highlight any lasting outcomes. One representative of a Slavic church actually said the russia ukraine war has had a more noticeable impact on its members than the revival.
1: And yet with 70,000 people visiting, as it was reported, we don't have the data from where all those people came in and went to, right? That's something else that we don't know, but it is interesting to consider the local community and how it's impacted. That should be relevant.
0: And I think we all understand, Josh, that we cannot simply respond to an immediate emotional response, you know, everybody crowding to the front, coming to Jesus for the 14th time, or any kind of emotional response. Certainly, the modern music scene, I think, encourages something of an emotional response to the word. But that itself doesn't represent a true heart change, a true work of God. And really, what we're coming down to is. There's so much in revivals that can repeat the work of man, mm-hmm. and uh, and we know how to do that. You know, We have the technology to bring about a enthusiastic response to the preaching of the word or to the musical presentation, but that itself is not an act of God.
1: Right, yeah, and, and you think of Jonathan Edwards, who uh, experienced a lot of different instances of revival back in the first Great Awakening, And he had to really think deeply about what is a work of the Spirit of God versus what is not. And in his book, The Religious Affections, he points out that there's a whole category of emotional responses that may or may not be a work of the Spirit of God. They they certainly could be an aspect of the changed affections that the Spirit produces, but in other cases, it could just be a work of man. It could be an emotional response merely.
0: And and I think any authentic sincere sober minister of god evangelist etc is going to be insistent on the truth here mm-hmm. you know i mean are we really getting an authentic work of god that will transform lives and maybe even come to the point that transforms a nation mm-hmm. and a national character and that came out of the great awakening most mo- i think most historians believe the great awakening had a profound impact upon yes. Uh, America and staved off something of the Enlightenment and brought back something of an evangelical gospel in England, et cetera, et cetera. So the Great Awakening had an impact upon nations, England, America, et cetera. And so did many of the 19th century revivals in Scotland, Wales, et cetera. But you also had a man-oriented work that was happening sometimes in the First Great Awakening, but more so in the Second Great Awakening with Charles Finney.
1: Yeah, and Finney, of course, began to think about revival in a very different way than those before him had, that he really believed you could actually produce a revival with the right ingredients. It was actually something quite doable, whereas the the older perspective on revival was that it's fundamentally a work of the Spirit of God. It's in the sovereign hands of God to deliver and dispense that revival uh, and so that really did, I think, change uh, how revivals were viewed uh, in America and around the world.
0: And towards the end of his life, Charles Finney did acknowledge that much of what he had done was uh, was fruitless. Uh, and, and, you know, that was towards the end of his life, of course. Uh, Finney had warned his Oberlin College students— the South must be reformed or annihilated, but he did acknowledge that. And, and, and there has been a number of, of important analyses of revivals, I think, of the Welsh revival of 1859, where it was a Presbyterian and Methodist, I believe, came together for prayer time. They were concerned about the lack of the prayer life of the church and the anemia, the spiritual anemia that spread across Wales and the churches in Wales. And those men came together, and a phenomenal revival occurred in 1859.
1: That's right, yeah. And so they gathered together, the two churches, for a time of prayer and and continued for some time uh, in that regard. And they began to see significant results as people from around the surrounding community gathered in. Uh, And it really began in uh, Longitho, Wales, and there was some fascinating uh, eyewitness accounts about what were the, the common factors of how people were affected. And some of these marks of revival are, are helpful to think about. And, uh, for example, uh, Thomas Phillips, who was an eyewitness, he, he noted that one of the key marks was the unified, fervent prayer of the church that was shaped by yeah. those events.
0: That is prayer meetings packed out. Right. You know, and I'd say that, you know, the average church, it doesn't see that. Uh, I think the spiritual life of the church is best recognized when the parking lots are full on a Wednesday evening, and you hardly see that anymore here in the States. Yeah, that's
1: rare. Uh, He noted there was a unified zeal to renounce sin and lead godly lives, so there was real repentance, there was real transformation taking place in people's lives, he he noted that the families were committed to discipling their children, so there was a family yeah. discipleship huge, effect as well. Huge, huge yeah. Uh, and then the third was that the, uh, there was an aggressive outreach that that flowed from that as well—a desire to see others impacted. And, and that's by the precisely same what we
0: find in Acts chapter two. What do you see in Acts chapter two? Immediately yeah. after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at the Pentecost, what happens? But they're rushing out and and crossing cultural boundaries. That's and, right talking of the mighty works of god to everybody they run into throughout jerusalem such that all jerusalem realized something happened that's
1: right that and uh, so
0: the evangelism is just the passion of evangelism and we certainly see that through most of the revivals the korean pentecost uh the scottish pentecost and revivals of the 1830s and 1840s mm-hmm. uh william burns and others just you know they exploded onto the scene and the scottish missionaries i think of uh People like uh, David Livingstone and, and uh, uh, Robert Moffat and others, as well mm-hmm. as William Burns, uh, they're just flooding into China, flooding, absolutely flooding into Africa over the next 40, 50 years and really changed the entire world for Jesus because of the revivals that occurred in England, Wales, and Scotland in the 1830s, 40s, 50s, uh, really a tremendous time, a tremendous That's time right. in human history. Uh, so evangelism, mission, passion is the result and and so far we haven't seen that from asbury but you're also looking at a generational component Uh, family worship is everywhere Mm -hmm. and people begin to you know buy family bible study guides to share with their children uh they're they're interested in discipling their children they're pulling them out of the public schools and give them a distinctively christian education christian discipleship so you begin to see a, a, a turning of the hearts of the fathers to the children children to the fathers in a New Testament-style spirit-filled revival. And and that was happening in the
1: 1850s in Wales. That's right. Yeah, and as parents are discipling their children, that can be the very seed from which God sends out new uh, missionaries. We've seen that before in, uh, throughout church history.
0: In the 1840s, you begin to see something of a revival in scotland so let's we've talked about wales let's go back into scotland for just a moment the saint andrew's revival the 1820s you remember that and that Mm -hmm. that that actually led to robert murray machine and william burns and other men of god who became some of the most outstanding preachers and evangelists of the day uh 24 year old william burns took robert murray machine's pulpit in dundee in 1839 and on a Tuesday morning in August of 1839, William Burns was in the nearby city of Kilsyth, and he stepped out into the center of town to preach. A great multitude collected about his makeshift pulpit. Uh, this was out of the streets. Now listen, later he described the scene. When I entered the pulpit, I saw before me an immense multitude from the town neighborhood filling the seats, stairs, passages, porches, all in their ordinary clothes, including many of the most abandoned of our population. He preached for five hours. Now that, that would be a, a, a sign. He didn't just get the worship band warming everybody else up for, you know, two and a half hours or four hours or five hours, literally preaching the word of God for five hours. He said, people listened with the most riveted and solemn attention, again, for five hours. They were absolutely riveted to this. The response could hardly be paralleled by any other period of revival in Scotland's history. The weeping and wailing, quote... The tears and groans, some were screaming out of agony. Others, and among those strong men, fell to the ground as if they were dead. Over the next two years, revival swept across Scotland, wherever William Burns preached. Every day the Holy Spirit endowed the man of God to preach to crowds of 1,000 to 10,000, four to nine hours at a time. Yeah. Think about that four hours to nine hours. Now we're talking real revival here, not this makeshift kind of hokey stuff that yeah, godly we see it exactly. Yeah. Um, and uh, he he was in Aberdeen, spoke to twenty five hundred men on the streets in Aberdeen. Not one man left in three and a half hours of preaching. Mm. Can you imagine that? He moved on to the new city of Newcastle, commonly referred to as the Iron Walled Citadel of Satan. Though denounced by the newspapers and pelted by manure and stones during his sermons, so don't get me wrong, there was still pushback. There's always opposition. There's always opposition, them. especially from the media. Uh, he continued to preach day after day, preaching four hours at a time, not many days hence. The Spirit of God did his work. The hard hearts were shattered to pieces, and the city was transformed. Now, of course, William Burns eventually becomes the great missionary that that planted churches for the very first time um godly evangelical christian churches planted for the very first time in what six thousand years of human history yeah. he planted those churches through his preaching uh before that about 15 years before that the word of god was translated into the chinese language but he was the very first pastor preacher on the ground to bring the word of god into the chinese language and uh he was a holy spirit filled man of god that planted the very first churches in the story of course is contained in uh taking the world for jesus so again it's the revivals of of scotland that results in the uh the, the new and saint andrews 7 uh spreading out into india and then on into china and then down into africa that all comes out of the revivals of the 1830s and 1840s so phenomenal phenomenal stuff we're going to speak more of these revivals in just a moment friends What is the sign of revival? What are we praying for? What are we crying out to God for at this very crucial time in human history in which the Christian church is languishing so, so, so badly in England, America, Europe, and so many other parts around the world? What are we looking for? Revival. That next on Generations. We've seen it, folks. God is working in the hearts of dads and sons, and He's turning the hearts, turning the hearts of fathers back to the sons, and the hearts of sons back to the fathers, and turning us all back to God. That's what we're looking for, and that's the theme of the Father-Son Retreat we've been sponsoring out here in the mountains of Colorado for the last 20 years, and I've been part of this for all this time. Now, God has done amazing things through the years. Uh, I've seen it. 350 dads and sons getting into god's word together nothing like it camaraderie brothers on brothers it's a band of brothers coming together powerful talks prayer father son walks and talks meaningful engagement it's almost going without saying that dads and sons don't get enough time together and hey we don't get enough time out in god's nature playing games and going for hikes in god's fresh air and we don't get quite enough time in god's word either so don't miss this year's father son retreats this august in the Colorado Rockies, up in the Sangre de Cristo Mountains, check it out at ColoradoFatherSon.com and register today and be one of the first 125 people to sign up and save a hundred dollars per father and son. Secure your spot with the biggest discount available right now at ColoradoFatherSon.com. And we're back on Generations. Kevin Swanson here, also Joshua Ushuiso, our Director of Publications with us. And so much of this, Josh, we work into our courses, taking Europe for Jesus, taking Asia for Jesus, taking Africa for Jesus, and taking the world for Jesus. Mm-hmm. Very important part of our curriculum. We believe that what Jesus is doing, especially in the transformation of hearts, lives, and nations, is far more important than what Napoleon did. So that's, that's our history curriculum. Yes. It's a whole different worldview that is brought into a 12-year history curriculum as part of the generation.org uh curriculum we provide for christian schools and homeschools. But Josh, um wow, the 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 signs of revival must indicate that there is a God-sized transformation. There's a god-sized supernatural working that is happening through the ministry of the word that is transforming lives, families, churches, nations, not just for the next three days, not just for the next two weeks as people crank up the worship bands, but it actually transforms lives. And and when you take a look at it, 20 to 30, 40 years later, you're going to say, God was here. God did something with this. That's the only conclusion you can draw.
1: And, and, of course, we're reminded that the salvation that Jesus brings is a real salvation, right. a that's real right. deliverance. In a
0: God-sized it's, gospel, a God-sized right. salvation, That's so much—in fact, I said this in a recent conference. I said the number one way in which you can determine a cult is this. The power of God mm-hmm. transforming from the inside out does not happen with a cult.
1: That's right, because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, it's and exactly so it's right. going to bring a transformation as an effect, and that's yeah. what you see in all the revivals. Ultimately,
0: yeah. yeah, let's go over a few more of the signs of yeah, revival, well, a true revival.
1: I was reflecting here on uh, David. This is David Rice. He was a pastor in uh, Kentucky in the 1800s. So you're kind of right between the first and second Great Awakening, and and he would go from town to town and had seen transformation taking place. So, the, all so this over is even before Asbury. State, even <laughs> Asbury's before in Kentucky Asbury, as, as well, same region, yeah, same region, and right. a lot of some. Similar uh, summaries from the Welsh revival, uh, but I was going to add a few here. He, he pointed out that one of the effects of the revival was a deep sense of the evils of sin. The sinfulness of sin was a very big part of this, that they were so aware Of How guilty they were before God. But not only that, but also a deep and affecting view of Jesus as the redemption that God has provided um, in an earnest love that then flows from the forgiveness that has been received through Christ. He also testified to how there was a significant transformation of the outward morality of the people. That those that were once drunkards were now mm-hmm. singing psalms; those that were uh, swearing and, and cursing were now engaged in fervent prayer; and those that had lied were now speaking truth. So there was an outward transformation taking place. And, and you're going
0: to see that at a social level. You're going to see a closing down of abortion clinics in the yeah, modern day. It's so. going to change culture and, 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 as it works its way. Closing up. down of public schools and. All of this crazy transgender school thing, that's all yeah, gone. After right. a revival has swept through Kentucky. Yeah. Has that happened in Kentucky yet, as far as you know?
1: We're not seeing this uh, level of what's uh, described here as far as we're, we're yeah. aware. As,
0: as I recall, sadly, Kentucky has endorsed uh, abortion no. through a, a statewide referendum right. most recently. Yes, yeah. So- Uh, One other point I want to make is that these revivals, they do snowball into international reviving, Mm -hmm. and and that's what happened with William Burns' revival snowballing into China, but also South Africa. Now, this is truly phenomenal. I think the the very best, most exciting, most important, most significant, most powerful uh, revival that happened in South Africa was what happened with Andrew Murray. And you're familiar with Andrew Murray. He's written a yeah, lot of a good bit. books. So read, people still read them. Books. I read
1: his Humility book. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I found that to be very helpful. I haven't yeah. read Waiting on God, which you've mentioned yeah, a few I times. Yeah, I truly
0: recommend William Burns' uh, books. Really powerful preacher of God. He was born in the boar town of Grof Renet on May 9th, 1828. Um, and that was six years before the Vortrecker set out for the Transvaal. Um, but he sensed a deep need for spiritual awakening in South Africa, as did his father. His father prayed, get this, his father prayed for revival in South Africa for 36 years.
1: Yeah, that's waiting now, on God.
0: That's waiting on God. That's exactly right. Yeah. And this is very important. We can't schedule revivals, mm-hmm. but right. we can pray for them.
1: That was the big difference between Finney's view and the, the yeah. classic view was you pray for you them pray and for wait on God. That's
0: right. You get up into the Red Sea, get your toes in the water, lift the stick, and pray for 36 years. That's right. And, and, and that's... What Andrew Murray's father did, phenomenal. And, and of course, it was the Scottish Pentecost that I just mentioned mm-hmm. that affected William or uh, Andrew, uh,
1: Murray. Andrew Murray.
0: William Burns, the revivalist, apparently he, uh, he inf- influenced uh, young Andrew Murray. Andrew Murray was there in Scotland during this time. Mm-hmm. So, so that affected his life big time. And he brought that into South Africa as a young te- teenager. Andrew had the privilege of carrying... William Byrne's Bible and cloak for him. Hmm. So it's a little bit of a data point. I'm not saying that just carrying the man's cloak makes a difference, but, but he being was with in him. his presence. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the big thing. His tireless energy, his deep voice, earnest manner and pointed appeals made a lasting impression on the young Andrew Murray as did the scenes he witnessed at the services. So that's a quote from his mm-hmm. biographer. So, so the point is that the William Byrne, I, I described the incredible revival that happened in, the work that William Burns did, and then, of course, what he did in establishing the Church of Jesus Christ in China, which, by the way, is the largest country in the world. And to this day now, what, 90 million Christians in China, 90 million professing massive. Christians, yeah, and, and that's a result, that that is somewhat of a result of the seeds planted by the very first church planter, mm-hmm. very first preacher that went up and down the rivers throughout China in the last, uh, I'm going to say, 15 to 20 years of his life. At 20 years of age, now, Andrew Murray, back into South Africa, attempted missionary work among the Vortrekkers. He was the only pastor throughout most of the Transvaal Territory and soon discovered, quote, the state of the majority of members is much sadder than I first realized. Nothing but God's mighty spirit is able to conquer the deep enmity of the unconverted heart, quote unquote. There wasn't much faith to commend, uh, but he continued to do his work. At at last, a spiritual revival came upon South Africa in May of 1860. Beginning at a conference of congregants from 20 churches gathered at Worcester, uh, South Africa, witnesses say the outpouring of the Holy Spirit occurred when Andrew Murray prayed. A 15-year-old colored girl prayed as well, and an eyewitness describes what happened. While she was praying, we heard, as it were, a sound in the distance which came nearer and nearer until the hall seemed to be shaken. And with one or two exceptions, the whole meeting began to pray, the majority in audible voice, but some in whispers. Nevertheless, the noise made by the concourse was deafening. That was an eyewitness. Mm -hmm. At this time, the Lord chose to use Andrew Murray's preaching to the first revival experienced in South Africa. His preaching, quote-unquote, according to an eyewitness, his preaching was in very deed in the ministration of the Spirit and of power. It was as though one of the prophets of old had risen from the dead. The subjects were conversion and faith. The appeals were couched in terms of deadly earnestness. Let me mention some of his texts. What meanest thou a sleeper? Rise and call upon thy God. Jonah one six. He that believes not shall be damned. Mark 16.16. 16. Friend, how earnest thou in hither not having a wedding garment. Matthew 22.20. His pulpit manner was very violent and book board and Bible were soundly belabored. Another pastor ministering at the time witnessed amazing transformations before the days of revival, he said. The situation of our congregation was lamentable, love of the world and sin, no earnestness or heartfelt desire for salvation, sinning, idleness. That was the order of the day for most. When the Lord started to move among us, how intense were the prayers for revival, the cries for mercy. I am lost, cries one here. Lord, help me, cries another. Anxious cries, uttered heart-rending testimonies of conversion were heard. Visions were seen, corporate prayer, even behind bushes and rocks, on mountains, ravines, men, women, greyheads, children, gentlemen, servants, all kneeling at the same ground, crying for God's mercy. And none of this was expected by anyone, nor prepared by anyone, nor worked up. Or preached by anyone, it was all the Spirit of God, and not for a few hours or days, but months hmm. long. First fruits appeared in the local churches, and so forth, and so on. I go now. This is my new edition yeah, of taking the world, the world for stories. Jesus. That's coming out in about two months from now. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think that's going to the print today, right yep. probably today. Indeed, if you can get home and get some work done. <laughs> yeah, <that's> right. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Joshua Schuizo is our director of publications and it's been exciting recording these things because i guess i i didn't I, I never had all these together in one place and that's what we're trying to do yeah. with taking the world for jesus as well as uh, the various taking europe for jesus uh, how jesus built his church et etc we're looking yeah. at 12 years of history curriculum it's been a thrill putting this together josh yeah and we don't even
1: have all the stories collected not yet the only <laughs> glory will tell all of them but we're going to keep uh, finding them and retelling them that's
0: right is there anything more encouraging in the world than what Jesus is doing through these amazing revivals well, we and transforming
1: work, it's the kingdom that will last forever. You know, Napoleon's yeah, yeah, kingdom yeah. is gone, exactly, but the kingdom of Christ will endure, and that's why yeah. it's so exciting.
0: Indeed. Well, friends, we're clean out of time. I wish we had more time to go over these great revivals that we've collected through our. History curriculum, all available at generations.org. Give your children, yeah, we, we we tell the stories of Napoleon. We absolutely, I think I I mm-hmm. gave Napoleon three pages. I, yeah. I've been a little more generous with Napoleon mm-hmm. in this next edition of Taking the World for Jesus. I gave him three pages, but we're still going to give uh, Andrew Bonar and these great revivalists, uh, Andrew Murray and others, we're going to be giving them 20, 30, you know, 40 pages. For yeah, we're going to just dedicate way more space to the exciting work that Jesus is doing in transforming the world. In fact, Napoleon, at the end of his life, you know, as he's dying on the the island off the coast of Africa did admit that the greatest man that ever lived was the Lord Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and he gave a message of love and there's nothing that motivates man or affects men more than yes. the gospel of love that was given by Jesus Christ and that those are the dying words of Napoleon so mm-hmm. Napoleon has a moment much like uh, Julian the Apostate who says you know oh galilean thou hast <laughs> right. conquered and and that's that was Napoleon's final words basically oh galilean thou hast conquered you know you've won he wins. Mm-hmm. Jesus wins. Amen. And he wins in history, and he establishes a kingdom far, far, far better than whatever Napoleon did.
1: That's right. Amen.
0: Okay, well, that wraps up this edition of Generations, friends. Get copies of this stuff. America and God's providence, taking the world for Jesus, taking Africa for Jesus, taking Asia for Jesus, taking Europe for Jesus. Uh, wow. There's just a lot of stories to tell, and we're t- trying to tell as many as we can through a 12-year curriculum, all available at Generations.org. This is Kevin Swanson and Joshua Shuiso inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation.